Mother Knows Death, starring Nicole and Jemmy and Maria QK. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Mother Knows Death. We have a lot of great stories for you this week, so we're going to get started with the story of the week. Yeah, we have a lot for you today. So our story of the week is about a nurse that was killing her patients at a nursing home out of Pennsylvania. Actually, it was between five nursing homes over the last few years. So Heather Presdy, she was 41 years old. In May, she was accused of killing two of her patients and just recently has admitted to killing up to 19 of them. Yeah, so this sounds awfully familiar to something that one of our friends went through, right? Absolutely. So, so, so everyone's heard of the good nurse or Amy Loughran. She's one of my great friends. And this actually, well, it didn't happen to her, but it was one of her coworkers that was a nurse was killing patients. His name was Charles Cullen. And she was the person that really brought him to justice. She was the one that that figured out everything that he was actually killing the patients. And this the story sounds so familiar because this woman that just got accused was killing patients with insulin. Charles Cullen was killing patients with insulin. And there was also a nurse in the UK that was killing infants that also just got convicted fairly recently. And she killed, I believe it was up to seven newborns. She was a neonatal nurse and she used insulin some of the times too. So it's it's just really curious, or I'm really curious why they decide to use that particular drug to do it. Actually, I'm not really curious. I, I know why, because I think it it falls under the radar and people wouldn't think to, to maybe test for that. And it's it just seems like the drug of choice, I would say. Yeah, so it seems like she started doing that. Well, she admittedly started doing it in 2020, but maybe was doing it before and never was caught. But she worked overnight shifts, which there's definitely less staffing during these shifts. So I think it went it went a little easier for her that they couldn't trace what was going on. It was a mix of diabetic patients that actually needed the insulin and some other patients that didn't need it. And her victims ranged in age from 43 to 104. So this is really disturbing. I feel like this is becoming more of a common story we're definitely seeing in the headlines Historically, it's definitely been happening. Even in this month's Grocery and Book Club selection, we're reading The League of Lady Poisoners by Lisa Perrin, and she touches on a nurse that had used some medications to poison her patients. So, and this theme was also depicted in the show Fargo, where one of the nurses was getting this sick thrill out of poisoning her patients and then stealing their jewelry and ended up being busted. She had a closet full of people's jewelry and little trinkets and stuff. So, it's just scary to think that this seems like such a Victorian or old concept to be doing, but it just keeps popping up in the headlines, and it's horrifying because everybody at some point in their life is going to be a patient at some facility. Yeah, it's really scary. And let's talk about insulin as a a, a manner to kill someone. So when you eat normally, your pancreas releases insulin, which then takes the sugar out of your food and puts it into your cells. And when you have a disorder such as diabetes, type 1, where you make no insulin, or type 2, where you're not making enough insulin, you need the insulin 
drug to be put into your body to help that, that sugar get put into your cells. If that sugar isn't going into your cells, that means that it's, it's backing up in your blood and you're going to have really high levels of sugar. So if you give a person that has diabetes insulin, so a person that has diabetes normally has a higher blood sugar. So if you give them this drug to lower their insulin, it's, it's a lifesaver and it works. But if you give them too much, it could cause, it could cause them to have serious problems, seizures, coma, and death. And especially if you give it to someone that doesn't need it, that has a normal blood sugar, you, if you give them too much, it could kill them. And I think that for nurses, they have easy access to this medication because so many people take it. And just the insulin levels, especially in a diabetic, you wouldn't question it as much, even if you checked it after death, because you would think, well, maybe they had uncontrolled diabetes or whatever. So it wouldn't be out of the normal for them to have highs and lows because they are kind of balancing it with this drug. So at the end of the day, she's been charged with two counts of first-degree murder, 17 counts of attempted murder, and 19 counts of neglect of a care-dependent person. So this is still an ongoing investigation. Who knows? There might be even more people that we're not even privy to, and they have evidence that she was doing it as early as earlier this year. So hopefully justice has been served and she's been stopped, and this is kind of it. Which is interesting, too, because if it, if it just recently happened, then she definitely knows about the Charles Cullen case. And, oh, yeah. And you almost wonder if if sick individuals are, are doing like a copycat thing, like they got the idea because somebody else already did it, which is, is, is really disturbing. All right. So let's get on to some juicy celebrity news. So our first story involving celebrities today has to do with Brooke Shields. She was doing prep for a shoot and she was drinking so much water because her mouth was dry and she thought she needed to overhydrate because she was getting mixed signals a little bit. And then it turns out that she had a seizure because she was essentially drowning herself and caused herself to have a ton it's a tonic clonic seizure. Oh, that's that's how I would say it to remember in school, but it's actually a tonic <laughs> tonic clonic seizure. Okay. But it does okay. tonic clonic is like is easy to remember. But these types of seizures, they are they could be provoked or unprovoked. So when you say it's provoked, it means that like there's some kind of problem with the brain that's causing it, like a structural problem, like you have a tumor or you have a history of stroke or a previous brain bleed. And then other times you could get it for unprovoked, which means it just kind of comes out of the blue and happens from things like medications and electrolyte imbalances, which is what happened with her. Because when you drink water, like just plain water that has no electrolytes in it, it just basically can dilute the blood and take the electrolyte balance off. And then that is what can induce a seizure. Yeah. And it's seeming like doctors are saying this is a rare thing to happen. Well, it's 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 a rare thing to happen. But the good thing to happen is like if if you're getting a seizure, this doesn't mean that she has epilepsy, let's say. And this doesn't mean she has a structural problem with her brain. It just means that it was kind of caused by this. And once you fix this, it shouldn't happen again. But she should she should always be aware that that this is a possibility because it can happen again if the same if she does the same exact thing again. But 
hopefully this was just like a one and done thing and it's not anything that she needs to worry about again. Yeah, and it's it's weird to read these stories that people can overhydrate because I feel like I get criticized so much for not drinking water as much as I should, but I just I I have said this before the story. I feel like I'm drowning when I drink the required or the suggested 64 ounces of water. So it's kind of weird to hear you can I feel like I'm always hearing you can never overhydrate, but this is a case where you can actually overhydrate. So it's definitely one of those everything's best in moderation situation. So didn't someone just die a couple months ago from drinking too much water? Yeah, I believe we talked about a child that drank no, too much I, or a young I, woman. I think it I think it was an older woman, but yeah, we talked about that in the gross room a few months ago. Not older, but she was an adult. And um yeah, yeah it's it's really important. And I, I like to say that, you know, I'm I'm a crazy plant lady and I really believe that human if you understand like the human body, you could take care of plants and stuff. And humans and plants are obviously they're completely different, but they're also the same, whereas they need certain things in order to function at their best. But you could have a plant that's kind of like lingering on for days and weeks that doesn't look real great, but it's still alive. And the same thing could happen with people, right? There's not there's certain plants that I need, like my orchid, I need to water maybe not even a, a couple times a week sometimes because it likes to be in a moist environment. Whereas a cactus, you wouldn't, you, you could leave it alone for, for like a month and it and it's fine. So I always like to say that I'm like, I'm like a cactus. Like I don't need that much water. And my husband on the other hand and Lucia, my little one, they drink so much all day. So there, I don't think that there's really like a magic number, like how much water each person needs to have, but you need to know what's right for you and you should always do what you're used to doing kind of when, and if you decide, like even you and me, if, if we just decided to start chugging like 15 bottles of water today, you would have a tonic clonic too. So, so you understand, like you just have to understand your body and, and that's it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move on to to Sylvester Stallone, which I I love him. I know you you're kind of whatever, but um, he was in this movie Copland, and I was like, yeah, I loved his character so much. I'm I'm into him and Rocky and everything else, of course. Yeah, I worked on a movie with him, and he was it, he was really nice. But you know, he's a major celebrity, so that's I'll leave it at. <laughs> but, don't, but don't talk shit on my boy now. Don't do it. I, I won't because I'm pretty sure I signed a bunch of NDAs. Okay. But- <laughs> All right. So he's doing a new documentary and I don't, I'm not sure where it's at, but it's called- It's on Netflix. It's on Netflix and it's called Sly. And he talks about an incident that happened when he was recording Rocky Four, which I had never heard about until this. Did you, have you? No, I haven't heard about this particular incident. So what's, so- what's Dra- Drago's, what's his real name? Dolph Lundgren and you you met him or saw him I, when you were yeah he was on the movie I worked with too so he he was actually really cool and do you know he has a master's degree in chemical engineering that's cool I love yeah, that dude I, he, I thought it was really cool and he was a super sweetheart to work with I used to work with a PA named Serge and he looked exactly like him and I used to call him Drago I especially because his name tag was like 20 years older than his how he looked and I was like dude when it, he was like the, around the same age as Drago, and I was thinking, like, d- did you get? Did people tell you all the time when you were younger that you look exactly like this guy? But anyway, he 
if you remember from the Rocky Four movie, they were in they were in a boxing match, and I guess apparently they went off script and Drago punched him in the chest so hard that he ended up Sylvester Stallone ended up in the hospital for nine days in the ICU. So that's like heavy duty blunt force trauma to the chest, which is scary because that could have killed him. Yeah, and it's not that, I mean, so Sly is huge on doing his own stunts, so this is, of course, not the only time he's been hospitalized doing them. He was also hospitalized filming The Expendables, and I believe it said he broke his neck, which is so crazy to think about. And you're this huge star, you can definitely get stunt doubles, so it's kind of an admirable quality that he wants to do them himself, but also don't put yourself in danger trying to do them, so... I, I could totally see Dolph Lundgren doing this. He's he's a jacked guy. So. Yeah, and I mean, and think about all that force on the chest. You could you could actually hit someone in the chest so hard that you could rupture their heart muscle, and they could die from it. Um, he you also could cause like electrical disturbances in the heart. And uh, I mean, luckily he he seemed to think that he was almost ready to die. He said there was like nuns in there over him and stuff, and. He said, quote, he thought it was curtains, but I guess he got out of it. But being in the ICU for nine days is is like a big deal, you know? It's scary, and that's why I'm surprised that all those years later doing the Expendables, he was like, I don't care, I'll just do it again, and then ended up in the hospital again with another serious injury. So it is kind of a cool quality that he's willing to do all of that stuff to make it as authentic as possible, but definitely be careful. All right, so a few weeks ago, Johnny Hardwick, who was a voiceover for Dale Gribble from King of the Hill, we heard that he died, and he was pretty young. He was 64 years old. And now this week, it it comes out that, because we're, you know, whenever we hear of a celebrity dying, we always want to know why they died. And they they came out and basically said his body was found in such bad condition that they aren't really able to determine his cause of death. Yeah, so there was a couple of things that stood out to me. I, this is really sad to hear. I, I'm not my husband's favorite show ever is King of the Hill, so he was heartbroken when he heard this. And I don't really like cartoons that much, but I love Mike Judge. I think he's such a I do great too. writer. I, I love him. He's so funny. So it's definitely sad to hear that somebody he was so close with passed away. And it's hearing it's undetermined is kind of wild. And I, I don't know if you read this too, but they were saying his body was only 100 pounds. So is that the weight in which they get him in the morgue or what they – like, how, do, can you lose weight when you die and start decomposing, I guess, is my question. So what happened was he was found, I guess they sent the police to go do a wellness check, and he was found in the bathtub with the water still running, but the plug wasn't in, so the drain was open and the water was going down. So his body was probably getting wet, not completely submerged, but it was it was wet. And we know when a person dies that... Bacteria grow the best when the body is is moist, especially. And that when bacteria can grow on the body, it could it could accelerate decomposition, and especially when a body's in water. So that's what happened with that. So when they found him, he was pretty decomposed. I don't know what the time is. I don't know what's what time of year it was. How the conditions were in the house. Like was it the summer and the air the air conditioning was on or was it a colder area of the country and the the heater was on so i don't know about any of those details and i don't know how long 
no one had heard from him. But what happens with decomposition is that it causes something called autolysis, which is like with breaking down of the cells. And when you look at the cells under the microscope, they lose their their clear-cut features, which would tell us in pathology, like if something was was wrong with them. So let's say, for example, you said that he was underweight. He was five foot seven and he was only a hundred pounds, which makes his BMI like a 15 or something. And when you're considered underweight, it's like under 18. Now there's all this controversy about the BMI chart. I personally like, I like it just because I think it gives you some kind of, some kind of a guideline to go off of. So when you look at it, you could say, wow, that seems really light for a guy. And then when you look at the chart, it's like 18 is considered underweight and he's 15. So you're like, yeah, he's, he's really underweight. And that could be from a variety of different pathology, like cancer treatment. I don't really know what his history was, but let's say for example, he had like, I don't know, Crohn's or something like that, some kind of ulcerative colitis. Sometimes when the, the bowel is so so autolyzed, when you look at it under the microscope, you wouldn't re- really be able to tell the cells were like that there was pathology going on because everything just kind of looks pink and, and, and blank. Like it kind of erases a lot of stuff. So they did say that they didn't think that it was suspicious. He didn't because there are certain things that you could see, like, does he have broken bones? Does he have areas in his skin that look like there was like hemorrhage, like someone beat him up or something? And they didn't see anything like that. But they also didn't see like what was the smoking gun that made him be in the position that he was in in the tub and and dead. So um, they did say his toxicology was positive for um, opioids or not opioids. um, Sorry, cannabinoids like weed, which which wouldn't have killed them so i you know it, it's hard to say but like let, let's say for example he even just like had a heart attack if they look at the heart muscle under the microscope and, and it's that decomposed they they might not be able to see the changes in the cells that would show that he did have a heart attack yeah it just kind of sucks for his family that they're not going to have definitive closure yeah i, I mean it does but, but believe me that it happens it happens more more often than you would think it happens and I think it's at least it's good that you could say, you know, he it doesn't look like someone killed him. And, yeah, and we absolutely. don't know. Like he I mean, listen, if the guy was 100 pounds he, and you wouldn't you wouldn't lose too much weight. In fact, if you had if you had so much fluid building up, it would be possible that you would even have more on you. But um, I, I don't know. I just I personally I, I think that there was probably something medically going on because five foot seven short for a dude like Popoff's five foot seven probably, right? But like if he was a hundred pounds, you would just be like, yo, like why is he so skinny? Why is he losing so much weight? Like what's going on with it? So I'm the family might have known something at the time. I don't know. Yeah, and I guess at the end of the day, it's not really our business if everything is our an- business, especially on this podcast. <laughs> All right. If he had an illness. That they might have known. Maybe they just don't yeah, want that being exa- public exactly. information. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's, that's their right, I guess. But inquiring minds want to know. All right, let's get into some freak accidents, one of my favorite categories. So two of our freak accidents today involve dogs and specifically Rottweilers. So I thought that was kind of a weird thing. It but- is. And, and, the, 
And b- both of the story, all, all of the freak accident stories are, th- this is why it's my favorite category, because you just think that you've heard everything and then and then you listen to this podcast and now you hear something totally crazy. And every week we're going to go through this. But you want to start talking about the first case? So this first case, this woman decided to give her Rottweiler a THC gummy and then Shortly after, he started attacking her for nearly an hour, and she was able to lock herself in her bathroom until the police came, but when they arrived on the scene, there was blood everywhere, and she had to be medevaced to the hospital because she couldn't move, and the article's going on to say, animal experts advise you don't give dogs your weed gummies, and I'm thinking, why does this have to be a... Like a PSA, who would do that in general? This is this is what I think personally happened. So I heard that the dog was two years old and was going through a lot of stress because his parents were getting divorced, which I thought was kind of funny to put it that way. But the dog was stressed and had had already some signs of aggression, like like kind of lashed out at, on a vet or something, a, a vet office appointment. She probably thought, hey, like you take weed gummies to chill out, right? So like, I'm going to give it to the dog so the dog chills out. People don't realize that weed is okay for people to take, well, for the most part, but weed for a dog is toxic. It's toxic. It's poisonous to them. And a lot of people don't realize this. And this is not like the first time that this has happened. But one of the signs of intoxication with this is aggression which she was, I guess she was in the bathroom sitting on the toilet, she said, after she had given the dog the gummy. And the dog came in and ripped her off the toilet. And, and, and like, you were, like you said, was attacking her for an entire hour before she was able to break free and go in her bedroom, lock the door. And po- when police came, they said that, th- that it was like a horror scene. There was blood all over the wall, all over the floor. And she was medevaced and she actually like almost had a near arm amputation because of this attack. So it was it was pretty serious. Yeah. And then as a result, they're saying the dog was, quote, humanely euthanized. So I'm like, this dog had to die because of this. Yeah, this is just this is what we do. It's the same thing when a shark attacks someone and we or like an alligator and we got to hunt them down and say we got them. Like it's just kind of like you gave a dog a drug it shouldn't have been having in the first place. It attacked you and therefore it needs to die. Well, I guess the family members were calling the cops and offering to go shoot the dog. Oh, yeah. They were like pissed at the dog and, you know, whatever you could understand. I mean, it's 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 scary when a person is is getting medevaced and and is almost going to die because a dog attacked them. But whatever, I'm not I'm not some like pro animal rights activist or whatever. But I do think it's all the time. It's like that you sometimes these animals are like put in a situation that they didn't want to be in and now you're like punishing them for being an animal basically yeah, like, like i think all new listeners should know both of us are not huge dog people but we will never say it's okay to do something like this to a dog especially you especially with the shark story you just mentioned it's like you go into the shark's home and then you kill it for acting the way it acts in its home yeah you shouldn't have even been there in the first place so the the next rottweiler story is is just so insane and it's not what you would think of a classic dog attack no not at all so this pregnant woman was walking down the street in rome she was on vacation and a an 85 pound rottweiler fell to its death from the 
from the eight or no sorry from the third floor of this building above her and it died and she was severely injured the baby ended up being okay but it's really unclear how the dog like if it jumped some people were saying it was chasing cats some people say it was being shot at there's all these crazy conspiracies going around about it the owner's being a little shady about it it's a very well, the owner bizarre came story. outside and saw her dog laying dead on the ground and was crying and freaking out and the, the the pregnant woman's mom was standing there and was just like my daughter's unconscious and bleeding on the ground because your dog just fell three stories and fell on her and knocked her unconscious and you're crying over your dog dying right now like th- that's that's a little sick to me honestly but what a freak accident right like how how could you even predict something like that would ever happen? Like, I, I never even thought about that, like, new fear unlocked kind of thing. Like, now there's going to be huge, when you're near some kind of high rise, there might be a dog coming out of the window, like, 85-pound dog falling three stories and landing on you. Well, the the owner's also saying, trying to say that some witnesses have come forward and said the dog didn't even fall on the lady. And yeah. Like, oh, yeah, oh, that no. she was, yeah, they were saying that she was scared and that's how she fell. Or, yeah. or some, yeah, something ridiculous. Well, definitely a strange story. So I, I kind of hope we have updates to just see how the, if they've determined how the dog even fell out the window in the first place and then just I kind mean, of go from there. She, I mean, she ch- she probably could have just had the dog, the window open and the dog saw something it thought it wanted. I mean, you can't sit there and talk to a dog and tell them not to jump out a window if they see something that, that they might even see something on the street and think that they have the possibility to reach it with you know, they're, they're dogs. What about this story of the, the backpack on the airplane? Another terrifying story. Airplane stories in general just really scare me, but this one has a tinge of ridiculousness to it. So this guy that was on American Idol season 18 was on the plane and he had a backpack and it suddenly, right as the plane was about to take off, the backpack started smoking and he started feeling heat around his legs, started freaking out and stomping it. And he said his first thought was that he was a musician and on television and he thought somebody was targeting him. Which, yeah, I read that and I thought that that was crazy because he has about the same amount of followers that I have on Instagram. And if if like my backpack was smoking on the airplane, the last thing that I would think was that one of my followers was trying to hurt me. Like it, it's very like paranoid thinking in a way. Yeah, so the plane didn't take off. They made everybody get off of it, and they did an investigation, and it turns out he had a portable charger in his backpack that caught on fire. So these, like, E-batteries or lithium-ion batteries are a big topic among fire departments now because they're causing, the little ones even could cause, like, a portable charger or, like, a vape pen charger. They could catch on fire, and they have caught on fire on planes. This is not the first time this has happened. But also bigger things, like... um vacuums this is what i say with the roomba and um e-bikes are a big one especially in these apartment buildings in new york city because people use these e-bikes and then they charge them like right out front of the doorway and they catch on fire and then people aren't able to get out of the doorway it's just terrible well do you know about ricky's story on the plane no oh i i don't know tell me again i kind of forgot about that he was flying and in the middle of the flight a fire broke out where with all the stored with all the checked bags because somebody had a vape and it was the button was pressing against something else in the suitcase and it was holding it in lighting it and then caught on fire and they had to make an emergency landing yeah that that is 
I, I mean, like, listen, it happens all the time. And the more of these things that people have on them, because I think it's totally everybody carries like a portable charger or this or that. Like, it's kind of scary. And I'm sure in the future they might start regulating that. Like, you can't bring this on here or whatever. But Gabe's always like, because we have um, the DeWalt things for like the drill and the blower outside and stuff and you charge those batteries and I always was just like oh I'll leave them I want to leave them plugged in overnight so they're like ready to go for me and he's like no we don't leave stuff like that plugged in overnight because that's the kind of stuff that catches on fire our sponsor for this week's episode is stink bomb Ray, you know how people always ask me, how do you do this job? It smells so bad. You don't want to throw up every day when you do an autopsy or when you dissect a leg. And I say like, well, body parts that are amputated and autopsies are supposed to be gross, right? They're, you're, you're dissecting a dead person. Like you wouldn't, it just, it should be gross. But when we get, for example, a leg in surgical pathology and it has gangrene and sometimes it even has maggots in it, let's say, it's it's an amputated leg. It's gross, right? It's a it's it's like a Halloween prop. It that's what you think. It, grossness, right? But think about the nurses that take care of these patients on the floor. That that leg was attached to a human only hours prior to us receiving it, right? And it's I really give the nurses a lot of credit because they have to seem compassionate and take care of the patient, try to heal the patient, all while smelling these horrible smells that come off of them and trying to keep a happy face like hi sir how's your day going and 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 not make the patient feel bad because they because they smell bad whether it's a gangrene or they they went to the bathroom all over themselves or something like that so this product that's called stink bomb comes on a little lanyard now for healthcare professionals and it looks like it's a little thing of chapstick but it it's an odor blocker and you put it right over top of your lip, just as you would with chapstick. It's the same kind of consistency. And instead of smelling the gangrene and the poop, you smell, in this case, I have evergreen for the, the holiday time. And that's personally my favorite flavor. I like ones that are like a little bit more menthol-y and tree smelling. But yeah, you could use it too. It's not just for healthcare professionals. You could use it when you take out the trash or you do a really stinky job like doing your husband's laundry after he works a 24-hour shift. You don't do Gabe's laundry. I know. I don't. He does my laundry, actually. But I would use it if I did do his laundry, okay? But it's just, it's a really cool product. And I think that there's a lot of situations that even my husband would use something like this at work because he has to go take a body out of the the Delaware River or uh, EMS workers could use this if they go into a house that has hoarding conditions. And the way that it's set up on this little lanyard that says smell you later, by the way, um, it's just cool because you could always just have it on you. And it's it's something that just makes your day a little bit more pleasant. And they have what, what flavor of stink bomb do you have, Ray? I have pumpkin spice, and there's also a coffee one that I think it, I'm a coffee addict. I think it is the best smell ever. These are really awesome because you could just throw them in your purse. You could have them for truly any situation. They're obviously awesome for medical professionals or people working in the death industry 
or investigate. Think about being a detective and having to go on the scene. Yeah, you might cops, not know what you're... firefighters. Yeah, it's... exactly. It's good for it's good for everybody, and especially our husbands with really stinky clothing. <laughs> But you could go to stinkbombodorblocker.com and use code MKD15 for 15% off all of their products. Thanks, Stink Bomb. All right, daughter, do you want to get into some violent crimes? Yes, mother. So our first violent crime story is something you think you would have heard 70 years ago, no problem. But guess what? Problem today. A fourth grader was whipped with a belt at his school in Florida. I don't know about that long ago because Pop Pop certainly has stories about when he was a kid in Catholic school in Philadelphia in the 1950s and 60s that he yeah, was 70 years ago. <laughs> that, uh, yeah, I guess I guess you're right. But he was uh, he was hit with a ruler specifically multiple times, like like painfully hurt with one. But he would say when he would go home from school, if if he would his parents would find out that the nuns hit him with a ruler, he would actually get in more trouble for embarrassing his family because that's that's what used to go down in, in a South Philadelphia Italian Catholic uh, school for boys. But yeah, so a church worker at this Florida parochial school saw a student writing on a desk and decided to whip the belt out and hit him. And even though corporal punishment is legal in the state, the parents are not okay with this, as you would assume most parents would not be. And a couple parents have pulled the school kids out of the school completely. This so the kids' fourth graders, I and I think that one of the kids was writing on the desk, but I think that multiple kids got hit with a belt, if I'm not mistaken. And it's actually funny to hear that in Florida, this is still legal. So it's. For, for kids in school. So it's surprising, I guess, that this would be the first time that you would hear something. I, I mean, I haven't really heard anything like this coming out of Florida. And what used to be good is not good anymore. I certainly would not be okay with a teacher hitting my kid with a belt. Although, so I always joke, like, if my... If I talk to some of the people at the school, if the kids are being jerks or something, I'm like, feel free to hit my kid with a ruler if they're out of line, like as a joke. But well, think about yeah, pop up that's almost 80 years old. That's a core memory he has. It it is, yeah, it is for sure. So definitely, there's some trauma behind it because he he always is talking about it. All right, let's talk about some serious trauma though that could happen in a school with this next case. This this is probably. The, the most disturbing case of the week, I would say. So an elementary school custodian in New Jersey, of course, of course. Was, was tampering with students' food in multiple different ways. Almost sexually, he was putting bleach, he was peeing in bowls, and he was taking videos of himself doing this and posting them on the internet. So the school had gotten multiple anonymous tips about the videos, and then they had an investigator come in and look at all the footage and compare the scenes and... It's definitely really disturbing. I don't know if you've seen this, but he's also been now charged with child pornography. So what's up with this? First, let's start off by how the the police got hip to this. There's some kind of like a messaging. Is it a social media? Like, I don't understand what it is. It's a messaging that looks like it's a little more encrypted. I don't know why these types of things exist. Maybe they're for I'm not that familiar with this particular app he was using, but. I 
don't understand if it's for people running businesses and they don't want people possibly finding their communication. I don't really understand, but I always go to people that using that are using these types of apps or doing nefarious things. So because of course, who really needs to? Everybody has privacy, obviously, but who really needs to be sending things in that type of a way other than people that are typically up to bad things? Like like putting know. your penis between uh, two slices of sandwich bread that you're getting ready to feed third through fifth graders, which, by the way, that's the age my kids go to school. So that makes me feel better. I guess I'm happy that I pack their lunch every day now. But let me actually read to you from the article the things that this guy was doing because it's so disturbing. It said that the videos showed him spraying bleach in large containers of cucumbers, spitting on utensils, rubbing his genitals on utensils and food, and urinating in a bowl. He also used multiple pieces of bread to wipe his penis, testicles, and anus, as well as spit on the bread before putting the bread back in the container to be later served to children at the school. He was also seen masturbating and urinating on pillows and kitchen bowls. It's so disgusting to think about, and he has worked at, in the school district since 2019, so has he been doing it the whole time and now has just been caught? Well, that, they, that's what they're trying to figure it? out, but regardless, like, even if he did it once and one kid, I, I mean, like, could you imagine right now, we have kids this age that are in school, like, if we got a letter from the school saying that they could have been exposed to this, I'd be so disturbed right now. I mean, you can... Uh, you could have serious injury from ingesting bleach. You could get erosions in your mouth. You could even die from from ingesting bleach, and and all of the other stuff, the fluids. Like you could, if someone wipes their ass on a piece of bread that has fecal bacteria on it, your kids are exposed to all different kinds of illnesses through that. Viruses and bacteria pass through fecal bacteria, and also fr- from semen with the with hepatitis and. HPV virus and stuff. I mean, that could live on something like a utensil for days to weeks. It's just so, it's so messed up. Like, I don't even know what the, what the, what they could do about it. Even if this guy, he got charged with all this stuff, but like, you're not going to ever know if your kid had it. And on top of that, like you, it's, it's such a violation. And it, you know, you, you mentioned earlier that we're reading that book uh, in the book club for the gross room about the lady poisoners. And in the beginning of the book, she talks about how vulnerable people are every day by eating food that that you didn't prepare yourself. And this is just an example of that. Well, yeah, and it even it even boils down to the ingredients you get can be contaminated. So unless you're growing the crops, and I guess still that's even vulnerable too because somebody could come in the middle of the night and tamper with that. It's just, it's really scary to just think these people exist in our world. And we talk about this pretty often within the gross room too is that just a lot of times with these sexual crimes these people just go free so I'm sure he'll go to jail for two years for tampering with food and having intercourse with inanimate objects and videotaping himself and then he'll just be right out in the public of course he won't be able to work in a school again but I'm sure he'll be doing but it at another job fuck too what is wrong with this guy like it like he really should just be in jail forever because what like no one like this needs to be around society just it's well, we talk about it all the time with rapists and stuff too if you if you're doing it you're that's your personality and you're doing it and we've interviewed a forensic psychologist in the past that has discussed that putting certain people with these behaviors 
in prison only can intensify it when they are to get out. So it's just kind of one of these things we have to work on and just make sure these people aren't around society and especially around children. Well, this case, this next case is is insane. So this guy brings a two-year-old baby, not his baby, one his cousin it's oh it's his cousin okay because i knew he was babysitting this kid while the mom was at work brings a two-year-old baby to the emergency room and tells that the emergency nurses and doctors that there was a piece of glass in the baby's diaper and it cut his penis and as soon as the nurse looked at it she was like this is way too clean cut and precise and it looks like it was intentionally done and actually said that she thought it looked like someone was trying to give this baby a circumcision. Yeah, and then basically, so child services got involved because it was suspicious the police were involved, and it's just, it's really sad to think that you are putting trust into a a relative in particular, but especially somebody else, and that they're trying to do this horrific act. Why would somebody feel the need to put this into their own hands? It's disgusting. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Well, now that you're saying it's, it's... A relative, like I wonder if he was he was like mad and didn't agree with the mother's decision not to get the kid a circumcision, so he thought he would just do it himself or something. Like I'm not sure why. Why? And it seems like the grandparents of the toddler were in the house as well when it was happening, and they were sleeping when the incident occurred. So I'm really curious if they were supposed to be responsible for watching the kid, and then they trusted. I'm assuming this person is their grandson if it's a cousin or a a sibling, some other relative involved. So there had to be some level of trust to leave the child with this person. And then this happens and it's horrible. Yeah. And when when a kid gets circumcised, even in the, the most sterile environments, there's always a risk. There's risk with any kind of surgery, especially when you're when you're cutting a knife and putting it through skin. There's risk of infection and if you get an infection on that very delicate area, it could lead to scarring. It, it could lead to like lifelong problems for this kid. And there, there's there's reports of kids having to get like partial and full penis amputations because of botched circumcisions. So it, it's not something that somebody should be doing in in a house and i was i'm just like wondering what he was thinking because he did it and then it's like you did it well what did you think was going to happen afterwards the kid's bleeding and stuff and then you go and take the kid to the hospital like the whole thing is it is so it's so weird it's just like such a weird story the shit that people do it's disturbing in general because why is somebody that's not the kid's parents interacting with their genitals at all beyond wiping them if they're going to the bathroom i yeah i mean that's a good there's a lot there's a lot deeper of a story behind here that we need to uncover. So he's been charged with aggravated assault on a child. So it's really gross. And we'll see. I guess there probably won't be public updates on this case, but it is really disturbing to hear. It's funny that we're always like, we hope we get updated on this case and then you never hear about it again. It's just like this. You you just get traumatized by these stories. And then it's like, oh, what, like whatever happened to that kid? I mean. A two-year-old is a big kid. Like, you have to really, like, lay down on top of them to get them to stay still to try to even do something like that, which is, it's so messed up. No, it's really gross. The whole thing is disturbing, but when you really think about the breaking it down like that, it's even worse. Yeah. All right, let's talk about some medical news stories. So, newborn syphilis cases are on the rise. Do you want to get into this? 
Yeah, so this this is actually really interesting. I'm kind of really into syphilis as far as it's it's just um from a scientific perspective, it's a cool kind of bacteria the way it works. It works very different than other ones. But they were saying that in 2012, there were 335 reported cases of syphilis in the United States. And now in 2022, which is only 10 years later, there's more than 3,700 cases reported. So clearly we're going to say like, okay, there's a problem, like something's happening. So what's happening? I would personally say that it's because of COVID, even though COVID itself has nothing to do with syphilis. It's because of the lockdowns and them not doing any kind of medical procedures, doctor's appointments for such a long time that it's now become you know, like a lot of those weird things that were happening during the COVID lockdowns are like still happening. Like they're still delivering a lot of like groceries and just all those sorts of things that like never really went away. I think it's the same thing. Like people were used to not leaving their house a lot and not going to doctor's appointments and not getting things checked out. And now you kind of have to re-educate the public all over again. On top of that, it seems like it's happening more in like black and brown communities, um, in areas where there's poverty and people don't have things like a car to get to doctor's appointments. And we're specifically talking about congenital syphilis because we're talking about babies that are being born with it. But, you know, when you're when you're pregnant, you should be going to the, the doctor for multiple prenatal visits. Sometimes women aren't doing that. They they're, they don't even have access to a bus. They might not have health insurance. There's all different reasons why this is happening. But I think that the majority of it is probably due to COVID. And we actually had a case in the grocery room this week that I presented of a guy who had a skin cancer removed in when he was younger. And then like 20 years later, this mask popped up again. And it so happened to be when the lockdowns were happening and when he went to the hospital to get it checked out or he attempted to go to the doctor, they were like, we're only doing emergency surgeries. We're not looking at this thing. And it was like the size of a nickel on his face. And he obviously like he had cancer before. So he freaked out that he had this tumor growing on his face and he tried to cut it out himself. And it ended up getting so bad that it basically encompassed his entire face over the course of the next couple of months to the point where it was bleeding so bad and he became anemic and everything. And then he was able to go to the hospital to get treatment because he lost so much blood and then he was considered an emergency patient. But you got to see this tumor on this guy's face. It's like covering his entire face. So there's a lot. And then under the comment section in the grocery room, there's a lot of people saying how that happened to their mom or it happened to them that they didn't get treatment because it wasn't considered an emergency thing. All right. So let's get into, do you understand like the whole syphilis thing? I, no, I don't really understand. I, I'm unfamiliar with how it works. And Okay, so I did a celebrity death dissection years ago on Al Capone. If you guys are interested in really getting into the weeds on syphilis, because I because that was actually contributed to his cause of death. And um, I really get in-depth article about it. But basically what happens is it's it's a bacterial infection. Which, which is a good thing because it's very easily treated with penicillin, but the problem is, is that you have to go to the doctor to get treated for it. When you have, it's sexually transmitted, so you get, you, you know, you have sex and then all of a sudden this 
wound called a chancre shows up and it could go, be in your mouth or it could be on your labia or it could be on your penis, whatever. And it's it kind of looks like a nasty ulcer, but it's painless and it doesn't hurt. And if you just don't go to the doctor and don't get any treatment for it, eventually it'll go away. So a lot of times the fact that it's painless makes people not go to the doctor because they look at it and they're like, what is this? I think if most people saw it, they would be like, eh, something's not right. But, you know, especially men with their genitals and stuff like they, they don't they don't want to look at it. And then all of a sudden it goes away on its own. Well, then a couple weeks later, a rash comes out on your hands and your the palms of your hands and the soles of your feet. And that's called secondary syphilis. Again, if you don't go to the doctor to get that checked out, which it's very classic looking. Like if you had red spots on on your hands and on your feet, on the bottom of your feet, you would be like, and went to the doctor, they would know instantly what it was. Again, though, this rash goes away. Then the craziest part of syphilis, or the coolest part, scientifically speaking, is that anywhere from like a year after that secondary syphilis, all the way to like 20 years later, it lays dormant and then it could like rear its ugly head again and when it comes out as ter- tertiary syphilis, now it's it could kill you. It, it affects your aorta. It could fa- affect your eyes. It could af- go into your brain, your bone. And that's actually what happened with Al Capone. So it's, it's very interesting that the way it works. But you could also have something called congenital syphilis, which is when a mom has syphilis and passes it to the baby. And when the baby's born, the baby could have be deaf and have eye issues. There's all sorts of issues that could happen. The baby can get what's called Hutchinson's teeth, which is like these very specific looking teeth with notches in them. But even worse is that it could cause miscarriages, stillbirths, and infant deaths, which they were saying last year there was almost 300 infant deaths and stillbirths because of congenital syphilis, which is, it just just completely doesn't need to happen. It's, It's completely treatable with penicillin. So is that why, so I I feel like syphilis comes up a lot in history books with especially the founding fathers and during the Revolutionary War era. So is this a shocking number to you? Because I feel like this hasn't been something that's been coming up so often because it's treatable now, considered treatable now. Yeah. I mean, back in the day, it just, people would die from syphilis and get all the sorts of pathology because there wasn't antibiotics, but there is now. So there's I mean, think about this. You're you're looking at 2012. There were 335 cases in the entire United States, and now there's 3,700 cases. You could just see that the only reason that this is happening is because people aren't getting treated. And like, if a guy doesn't get treated and gives it to a woman, then like, she has it now too. And the, and the, and then she has sex with a guy that doesn't have it now. He has it too. Like it. You see how things spread, right? And it's just, it it has to be because of COVID because like nothing else has changed so vastly that would, that would cause people not to go to the doctor to get things treated basically. Yeah. So basically the, the short of it all is just if people prior to the pandemic were presenting with symptoms, it would easily be identified and they would be treated and therefore it would stop the spread. Whereas after many people weren't going to normal doctor's appointments and things like that were kind of being brushed to the side a little bit because there was a greater thing happening. And this is 2000, 
these are statistics for 2022. And I mean, you know that there was still like the televisits. I still do televisits with with my family doctor sometimes. Like the thing is, is that if I have a giant shanker on my lab, right, I'm not going to I'm not going to like stick it up to the screen and show the doctor. It's just like I'll be like, oh, it's kind of kind of irritated or whatever. But like they they that's why it's like important for the doctor to actually physically examine a patient. Yeah, totally. and now I think now we're like getting back to normal. I feel like even when I go to children's hospital and stuff, it's like you don't have to wear a mask anymore. You're, everything's in person. You get like things are getting back to normal. So I'm hoping that this problem will kind of start taking care of itself. But a lot of it is just a me- like a mentality of like uh, of people like not going to the doctor and just. In general, I think they were saying that like 40% of these cases of these deaths, the, the mothers weren't even getting any prenatal care, which there, there's a lot of, even if you don't have insurance or this or that, there's a lot of programs out there to help women because because we, we recognize how important that is. Well, I could see being, if you're pregnant too, how it could be scary to some people to risk going out in public and to the doctor's office knowing they could potentially get sick or something and not knowing if that could affect their baby and that could also lead to it and just all these multiple factors over the last few years and this totally uncertain and crazy time. Okay, let's talk about one of my favorite subjects, which is foreign bodies. Okay, so a study came out that in 2021, the ninth leading cause of unintentional injuries was a foreign objects being found in bodies. So do you want me to read some of the most common items found? Okay. First, let's, I guess we'll make our way down. Ears. So one of them, which was crazy, was a cufflink, which, how did that get? But I actually could, I could see that because isn't it like a stick? Like someone might have like wanted to itch. This is how it happens. Like someone wanted to itch something in their ear and they like stuck it in to like loosen up wax or to itch and then it got stuck inside there. That's what I think happened. So also in the ears was wet tissues, a plastic sword, an insect, a rock, a lollipop, a charger, a piece of an ice cream cone, a push pin, (laughs) pencil erasers, and a battleship game piece. Well, you have to think though that a lot of this is little kids. So take that. Well, we'll this, get to the adults later. <laughs> the adult sections are always the best. What have, And what about the nose? All right, nose. Gum wrappers. A used match. <laughs> Magnets. Rice. Candy hearts. Yarn. Jewels. Gummy worms. Orange peels. An LED light. Flowers. Cheese. Popcorn kernels. And glue. All right. So let's get to what more than half of these emergency room visits are for, which is sex toys. Sex toys. Okay, so we'll start with male genitalia. <laughs> Brace yourself. So I, I've i seen so much of this stuff in pathology because, like, let me give you guys a brief introduction with this. But whenever you go to the emergency room and anything is taken off your body, whether it's a, a tumor, a miscarriage, anything like that, if they, if they, if it gets removed in the emergency room, it goes to pathology for documentation. This includes like if your kid swallows a quarter, if you get a dildo stuck up your butt, it all goes 
to pathology. So I've seen my fair number, my fair share of these things. And so have my friends. So we have a a lot of stories to tell, but continue with male genitals. (laughs) So male genitalia, we have sex toys, which you would think would be the most obvious and beads. And then we have paper clips, coins, a car key, a pencil, a nail, a ceiling fan (laughs) chain, a cell phone charger, and then a wooden spoon. So there's something called urethral sounding when men get sexual satisfaction of sticking things up inside their urethra. So this is that's where the ceiling fan chain comes from and the pencil because they they're able to jam it up there. And apparently when they're having an orgasm and pull it out at the same time, it's like the best feeling ever. So that's why you'll see a lot of these like urethral foreign bodies. And what about women? Female genitalia. Coins. A screw, a pen, a drumstick, a flashlight, a drinking cup, a golf ball, a nail polish bottle, and even a spatula. See, your your vagina has sometimes been referred to as the vaginal vault in medicine. And that's because this vault. thing is a, it's a vault. You could just store stuff up there. People can do really crazy things with their vaginas. I've heard of these women that could, like, pull weights up <laughs> their vaginas and... Like, wasn't there a Sex in the City episode where somebody blew something out with their vagina? Maybe it was another show I was watching where they blew candles out on a cake or something. I don't know, but I could probably do that. I, I don't need to know. So on, on to rectums. Okay. So rectal foreign bodies are my favorite. And the reason that we get rectal foreign bodies, which is, I would say, 99.9% of the time from men, because they have a uh, something that women don't have, which is the prostate gland. And the prostate gland, when it is rubbed at the same time as trying to have an orgasm, it's like it, it intensifies the, the orgasm. And once a guy feels that, he forever is changed. And he is always trying to achieve that feeling by sticking. Th- and the only way to to rub the prostate gland is to reach it through the rectum. So guys will stick stuff up there in order to try to do this. Now, of course, they make they make sex toys that you could order online that come in a white box discreetly to your home that are made for this purpose, but guys are still some guys are still weird about that, especially older guys that like aren't into the whole ordering online thing. So you see it a lot of times in older men, you get these like rectal foreign bodies in 70-year-old guys and stuff, but do you want to talk about some of the ones that you find that are not sex toys. Not sex toys. A lot of household items. Spoons, magnets, bottles, crayons, wrenches, action figures, a vegetable peeler, which, ouch. And right? candles, an ice cream cone, and last but not least, a fishing pole. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the problem, too, because sometimes I've seen such crazy things that guys stick these huge items up there because they're just trying to get deeper and deeper up there. And like a fishing pole is a pretty long thing. So you could, and I'm sure what happened was it probably perforated the bowel and led to surgery because that happens sometimes. But what happens is, you know, you know, when you have the feeling like you have to poop, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't, if you don't go to the bathroom, because like, let's say you're at at Target, because it always seems to happen at Target, right? The bright white light syndrome, we call it. But um, yes, what happens is you don't 
you don't go. And then all of a sudden, like maybe 20 minutes later, 10 minutes later, like the feeling kind of goes away. And that's because your rectum kind of like sucks it back up inside there. Well, if you stick a sex toy up there or something that doesn't have an end that you have a really good hold on, it sucks it up there and people can't get it out themselves. And that's why they have to go to the hospital. I mean, I'm sure it's probably the most embarrassing thing in the world to have to go to the hospital to get something removed from your ass. But well, 4,000 people a year nearly get things oh, stuck up their rectums. I, I believe it. Trust me, I've seen, ER. I've seen it so many times. Like, uh, I'm telling you, I've seen I've seen crazy things. And well, there was that whole TV show called Sex Sent Me to the ER, remember? Yeah. It w- it just wasn't done. I don't like the the reenactment things like yeah. I, I, you know, but and and then like obviously for privacy reasons and stuff, you can't like really talk to them. I mean, nobody's going to go on camera and talk about the fact that they're in the ER cuz they had something stuck up their ass like so you kind of have to reenact it, but I, I, yeah. Anyway, I, I love foreign bodies. So, you know, so the, the Mütter Museum in Philly has a, a foreign body collection, and it's really cool because some of them are really, really old, and it's like a lot. They have these, like, these old school, like, wooden drawers you can pull out that just have them all laid out. A lot well, of— maybe not anymore. <laughs> well, don't talk about that. That place sucks. But let's talk about, like, the the, the most— the ones that are most applicable to me right now, and I think about that drawer every single time when I do my hair because I always put bobby pins in my mouth while I'm doing my hair. And I'm sure that that's how people swallow them by accident because it's in your mouth because you're holding it, right? And you would see that you saw a lot of like screws, things like me- like I- I've done that too, like outside, like I was just doing something, screwing something in and I put the screw in my mouth and I was like, this is how it happens. And I just still... <laughs> I still keep doing it, especially with us because we're both kind of like klutz. So it's yeah, that would happen to idea. me for sure. Earlier when we were earlier when we were setting up our lighting, I was trying to figure out how I was going to spy maneuver under the cord of my light, and I still tripped it and knocked the entire thing. Oh yeah, that's why I have my legs tucked under my desk right now because I'm like I'm going to dislodge something and the whole entire like setup is going to fall down. Okay, let's talk about the last story in medical news, which is this recall of applesauce pouches. So it's three brands of applesauce pouches have been recalled, which are Wanna Banana, Schnucks, and Weiss brand. So do you want to talk about what's going on that's making them be recalled? So I guess uh, there were four kids that got sick, went to the, the doctor, got some testing done, and they were found to have early symptoms of acute lead poisoning. And that doesn't just happen. Like, there's not, like, a normal amount of lead that should be in your blood. There should never be lead in your blood. And if you're doing everything right, you shouldn't have access to lead anymore because we know it used to be in paint. There's definitely, like, lots of different things that it could be in. But we we try, especially in the United States, it's really regulated. So kids and adults should never really have access to lead because lead poisoning it's bad because what happens is with little kids, it could really affect their brain and their brain development. And it could cause like serious, like permanent disability as their brains are growing. The problem is, is that you don't even know 
sometimes that they're being exposed to it because you don't start to have symptoms of lead poisoning until you have like a large accumulation of it in your body. And once that accumulation's there, it's likely already done permanent damage. So these kids were having this, this, these symptoms, which include like headache, abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, and their parents took to them to the doctors and they really couldn't figure out why. And luckily they just had really good doctors that like somehow they all were able to contact, I guess it would be the CDC or some kind of epidemiology to be like, hey, like we have this kid, they're sick, we don't know what's wrong with them. But I guess you would see it in the blood work. You could see um, stippling on the cells. And God, I hope it wasn't to that point, but I'm, I'm assuming that that's what happened, that they were like, okay, shit, this kid was exposed to lead and we need to figure out why. And when they interviewed all four of these kids, they came up with the common factor that all four of these kids were eating these applesauce pouches. They don't really know how the lead is getting inside of the pouches, but they were able to voluntarily, like they told the companies and the companies recalled all of them because just out of caution, obviously. But um, yeah, like lead's, lead is no joke. And the applesauce pouches, like we, we the... um. The one brand, the green ones, I guess. I, I mean, I eat them almost every day. The kids eat. I just like them. And the kids eat them all the time. I always have cases of them because they're just like an easy snack on the go. And it's like better than eating other things because it's just applesauce. Scary. In other death news this week is our final story. Bray, do you want to talk about what happened again in Florida? So this anthropologist just so happened to be shopping at an antique mall in Fort Myers and came across a skull in the Halloween section and was able to identify through his work that it was a human skull. So he contacted detectives who are looking into the case and the store owners are saying that they purchased a storage unit a few years ago or a couple years ago and it had been in there. And I don't think the detectives think it's anything suspicious, but it's definitely an interesting find that this just so happened to be this guy's job and he was able to detect it. I mean, you would be able to tell that. All right, listen, I think that this story is total bullshit and doesn't even need to exist. It's just like a circulating news story because you don't have to be some fancy smancy PhD anthropologist to be able to tell a human skull is a human skull. I mean, come on. Any person could, I could give Lillian a human skull right now and, and put it in front of her and be like, what is this? I mean, come I, on. A child maybe, could identify that something was a real human skull. I don't think Lillian was a good example because she lives <laughs> in La La Land. But I, I, I'm, just, I'm just saying like, it, it, it's just a non-story to me. And I guess like in Florida, selling human remains isn't legal. And there's like eight states that it's not legal in. But Around here, I see human skulls for sale all the time in thrift stores. So it, to me, it's like this is just a non-story. The fact that it was $4,000 is, to me, completely outrageous because I would never pay that much for a human skull. That's, well, that's What do you find the value of a human remain to be? I just I just think $4,000 is not the going rate. That, that person clearly did not look this up online and, and figure it out. They're, they're writing in the story how the... the, the owner of the antique store was like, yeah, I knew it was a human skull. Like I put it for sale because I thought someone would want to buy it. Like they're like they're a bad person or something. It's just like people sell medical skulls all the time. You see like you just see them 
all the time, especially like if if you're like me and you like going to antique stores and stuff. So I just think it's a non-story. And the fact that this like, like, oh, like I, I'm just so important and I'm an anthropologist and I was able to determine that this was human. Like, get like, so can everybody else in the world. It's just you, you wouldn't be able to tell. When, and especially when you look at it, you can definitely tell that it it's not like one of those pretty painted white ones that look like they could almost be plastic. Like it, there's no doubt that the thing is real. So how could I'm they sorry. determine that it wasn't suspicious though? If they acquired a storage unit and it was in there, how do they know it wasn't? Well, part it could of have been. Weird? It could have been like a medical skull or something. They could tell by the age of it. They, I think they were saying that it was like a possible Native American human remains. So, I mean, I. I don't know where they got it. I don't know where many of the people get it. Sometimes it's just like, for the most part, it's like, you even see that with estate sales and stuff. It's like an old doctor that's 85 years old dies and they have this whole collection of like old, I mean, I have like a million like old microscopes, old slides. They have things in their house and like their wife is like, I don't want this. Like, I'm going to sell it. Right. So a lot as long as it looks like it it's doesn't look like it's from like a person that just was missing and it, i don't i don't see a problem with it and i honestly just don't even think it's a story i just think it's like it, they're trying to act like oh this th- thank god this guy came across this it's just like if you walked in that antique store you would be like like why would a plastic skull be sold for $4000 come on like and it said it was a real human skull. This is no murder mystery here. Like, it, it's it's a non-story to me. Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Let's wrap it up with our questions. So we have three for you and one for me, which I'm very excited about. Oh, my God. So we'll get through yours first okay. so we could end it on a later note. All right. Number one, we have, how does a pathologist relax rigor mortis for further examinations? And what does that mean to the layperson? So rigor mortis is when all of the muscles stiffen after death. And what happens is, is that the energy is released from the cells when a person dies. And it essentially makes all of the muscles in the body flex as strong as they could. So if you flex every single muscle in your body as hard as you can, that's what happens to a dead body after death. And when we get a body in the morgue, sometimes they're still they still have like full rigor. So... When you open the body bag, like their arms will be like this. And obviously, like if I need to cut the chest or something like that, I have to move the arm because it's in my way. So I will just grab it and lean on it as hard as I can and break the rigor. It's not breaking the arm because it's it's just muscle that you're unrelaxing. But you pull it as hard as you can. It's like go up to someone, go up to Ricky tonight and ask him to flex as hard as he can and then pull his arm down. That's what it's like. And once you do that, it kind of releases it and that's it. It doesn't hurt them because they're dead. So we just have to do it sometimes because it's their, their body parts are in our way of where we need to cut. Okay, next question. What is your favorite thing in the Mütter Museum? Oh, my favorite thing? Well... This is this is hard because they have they have so many good things there that you would never see working in a pathology lab. For example, they have a, a skeleton of a person that I believe it is gigantism, and there and then a person that has achondroplasia. So there's these two standing next to each other, and it's just so cool to look at the differences in the bones of 
how there could be so much variation in, in, in humans is just amazing. They also have a crazy, one of the craziest things that they had there is um, a genital wart necklace. So when we get genital warts or anal warts at in pathology, they come in a cup, but they look, they vary in size, but sometimes there's like 20 of them. And I just think like someone back in the day, like got a needle and thread and like put it through all of them and made a necklace and hung it up in a jar. So I thought that that was cool. Now, uh, like some people would say that that's disrespectful or whatever, but like, honestly, those genital warts were just going to go in the trash and get incinerated. And now they're on display so people could see like what anal warts and genital warts look like. So I don't know. I think it's, I think it's pretty cool tool for education. All right. Your last question is, why did you start the gross room? Oh, that's a good question. So I've been pretty open with the with the problems that I've had on Instagram since the time I started, which has been like almost 10 years ago now. Um, just my accounts getting deleted, my photos, videos getting deleted. And the censorship has just gotten even worse. Like even though they leave my account up and they don't delete my account, they delete pictures. Um, one, for example, is like breast cancer. I can't talk about really breast cancer because I can't show boobs on my Instagram, even though like it's totally cool for other people and celebrities to do it. But this one case I was showing, this woman was putting her hair up in a ponytail. And what happened was she she lifted her arm up like this. And then she saw that there was like a weird divot under her breast. And when she saw that, she went to the doctor and found out that she had breast cancer, actually, and that was the only way that she saw it. And she sent me the picture of it to show me what it looked like, and I thought, like, hey, I'm going to post this on Instagram because this is, like, really important for people to learn about their bodies, especially, like, young women. It might just not present. The, you, you always hear, like, do breast exams. You're going to feel this tumor, but, like, it can present in lots of different ways, and it was definitely, like, this PSA post. And it got deleted. My account got shadow banned. It just was like your account's at threat of getting deleted. And um, I'm just like, I'm, I was tired of it. So I started my own website this way. I don't have limitations with Instagram as far because like on Instagram, I can't show penis pathology. I can't show breast pathology, vaginal vulva pathology, which is like huge body parts and organ systems that you're just completely ignoring. And so that was one thing. Um, Instagram, I'm limited what I could write by characters per post. And I and now in the gross room, I could write articles that are like so long and really overly explain things if I want to. Like sometimes I make shorter ones, but sometimes I want to further explain things. And the whole community of Instagram has just gotten weird. It's gotten very like aggressive and and trolls. And now I feel like the gross room, it was like I wanted to make a place that people just like wanted to be there and wanted to learn and didn't want to just like write stupid comments under everything like they actually wanted to learn about it. So um, and I just I just thought like if I had my own thing, it, you know, I put a lot of energy and effort into Instagram and only I've had it happen to me several times. Like when they delete my account, it's like they're deleting all of my hard work and I just don't even have access or ownership of it. And I, I still keep the Instagram account and I still do post mystery diagnosis every week and occasionally I do other posts. 
but I always post them in the gross room too. So now they're like mine and I own them and, and it's cause it's my work and I take a lot of time doing it. And, um, the website ended up just, it, it, it ends up being so much work that like, that's why I have to charge membership for it because it's, it's time that it takes me to write, but also like I have to pay people to keep the membership going just because of the members and, and things like that. So I hope that answers your question. <laughs> and, so and my... wait, let's, let's tell them that the gross room is on sale right now. Oh Yeah. $20 for one year membership. It is an awesome deal. It's normally $55, so $35 off. And I think I think it ends up being like a nickel a day or a little over a nickel a day. And it's just if you're if you're into this kind of stuff, a lot of these cases that we talk about, we actually have like photos and videos to show of it as well and just further explain things. So I just think it's I think it's like a really awesome website and it's we put it on sale a couple times a year and right now it's on sale. Yeah. And there's a couple of thousand written blog posts in there, which are really amazing videos, everything. And then there's about 55 other audio recordings as well of back podcast episodes. So you can go to the very beginning, which cut us a break because this is was horrible. really hard. We're, medium we're still horrible, but it's it it is it it's hard it's hard to learn and get used to all of the equipment and and especially I mean you even went to to art school but you didn't ever you didn't learn any of this kind of stuff so we're all just like we're teaching each other like how to run the website and how to do these things that we didn't even go to school for no we do this all ourselves there's nobody else doing it it's <laughs> so get, cut us a break <laughs> but um you like question... you should say you do it all because I just kind of. I sit here and deal with your craziness, but you, you're the one that really does all of the AV. Um, I'm the web. tech guy. You're, you're the tech nerd, yeah. All right. My question, which will probably annoy you, which I'm extremely grateful for, is what is my unpopular opinion and my hot takes about The Real Housewives? <laughs> oh, Jesus. So my unpopular opinion is that I think Lisa Barlow is the best housewife we've ever had in all of the franchises she's from salt lake city my hot take which probably why isn't is even she the hot, best i just think she's everything we want she's rich she's fashionable she doesn't care what she says she says totally out of touch things but she owns it she doesn't try to be somebody she's not in my opinion i know that's going to be a controversial statement what but what is like why is she there like who, what's her claim to fame She's the queen of Sundance, baby. She's the main event coordinator for Sundance Film Festival. She has a tequila company with her husband. They're Mormon. It, they have a very interesting life. Her son's going on a mission right now. That's a huge storyline this year. So it's definitely... I don't understand how she's Mormon because she drinks and does well, all that and they own an alcohol company, but I definitely people think... People bend the rules in every religion. <laughs> yeah. Justification. I, I think she's great. I also love Jessel from the most recent New York City uh, reboot. I know Michelle is going to be screaming at me at the end of this episode because she does not find that the same way, but it is what it is. And then my hot take, which probably isn't a hot take, is I don't need to see any more 1920s parties, sound baths, or spiritual retreats. It is seemingly every other episode on every franchise. I don't need to watch your spiritual awakening. If you say something horrible, own why you said it and move on. Because every season, you have at least one housewife that goes 
incredibly insane and says something totally outrageous or rude or horrible to another woman and then the whole next season about how she learned from that experience and how she's going to be a better person. In the words of Lisa Renna, just own it. It's getting out of control. Oh, okay. And that's I, I've had I've had enough. I just fell asleep while you were talking. I'm sorry. I just have I just have no interest in that stuff. You're the one that got me into all of it. I, yeah, because like it's just like everything. It used to be good, and now it's not. It's just like over. You know. I don't know. What I, you're I mean, talking how about. could Salt you top? How phenomenal. could you top like? when Teresa flipped the table and then all that like it's just like it's it's not going to get topped for me so I just like to leave it there where it is and that's it I saw a really I, I did a special event I can't quite disclose at this moment but I saw a really cool piece of art with Teresa yesterday so oh wow check my Instagram <laughs> next week all right, guys. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us. And another special thanks to Stink Bomb for being our sponsor of this episode. We hope you enjoy. Thank you for listening to Mother Knows Death. As a reminder, my training is as a pathologist assistant. I have a master's level education and specialize in anatomy and pathology education. I am not a doctor and I have not diagnosed or treated anyone, dead or alive, without the assistance of a licensed medical doctor. This show, my website, and social media accounts are designed to educate and inform people based on my experience working in pathology so they can make healthier decisions regarding their life and well-being. Always remember that science is changing every day and the opinions expressed in this episode are based on my knowledge of those subjects at the time of publication. If you are having a medical problem, have a medical question, or are having a medical emergency, please contact your physician or visit an urgent care center, emergency room, or hospital. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Mother Knows Death on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or anywhere you get podcasts. Thanks. Thanks.